Bible and turn to First Peter chapter four. We'll continue on and preach through some more of this together, learn together, and hopefully be changed together for the glory of Christ. We're going to talk about suffering some more this morning. If you've been here um, recently, we've talked a lot about suffering, and I think uh, many of you are experiencing some of that suffering. And so um, I'm hopeful that maybe the Lord is speaking directly to you during this time. And um, I know of many, I'm even overwhelmed a little bit this morning by the amount of suffering that I've heard about just within our just within our own church. I want to read to you from a book called Soul Care uh, by, by a man named John Ortberg. And he writes this, If you ask people who don't believe in God why they don't, the number one reason will be suffering. You probably know people like this who have uh, experienced suffering and decided that God doesn't love them. They've experienced suffering, and so they decided to uh, to trust in something else instead of the Lord. Uh, Ortberg goes on to say, If you ask people who believe in God, when they grew the most spiritually, the number one answer will be suffering. So we know that the Lord can use and is using suffering uh, for His glory, for growth in our lives for refining in our lives. In a moment when we read uh, verse 12 of chapter 4, we talk about these fiery trials. Um, Yes, literally those Christians, some of those Christians were suffering from fiery trials because literally they were being burned at the stake, martyred for their faith. But also these these fiery trials were a source of refining, refining, burning out the things um, that were not uh, godly or holy or or uh, glorifying to the Father. And so because of that, suffering was used. Fiery trials were used in order to to shape uh, Christians into into men and women who all of their affections. All of their adorning of Christ, uh, adoring of Christ, um, was 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 you know mounted up completely in their walk and their obedience to Christ and Christ alone. So, First Peter chapter four, the chapter ends with this with these words: Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Something strange, something something foreign. We have to kind of get our minds wrapped around first, and I tried to point this out within the Lord's Supper. See, what is it that's actually foreign to us or foreign to this world? Think back to the garden scene. What was foreign to the garden scene? Sin, rebellion. That was what was foreign. Holiness and purity and um, honoring God and worship of God was not. It was not the foreign thing. God's created things were not foreign to the garden. No sin, rebellion, disobedience to the Father. Those were the things that were foreign. Sin is foreign. Sin is an alien. Sin is foreign and an alien to the Christian. We look at sin and say, you foreigner, you stranger, you sin, you're not welcome here. Suffering is welcome. We can we can welcome it. We can say, hey, suffering, come on in, because it can help us shape us, can help shape us into what Christ desires of us. Death is also foreign to us. Remember the garden scene again. Death was not intent, the intentions of the garden scene, of, of the perfect world. Yet sin entered, rebellion entered, and so death entered as well. You remember the, the first death, the death of an animal sacrifice, so that, so that Adam and Eve could be clothed. God killed an animal, sacrificed an animal, and then clothed them with the animal's skin. Just a little side note here. 
They were clothed in animal skin, which is a picture of them being clothed actually in death. And so when we think about being clothed in righteousness and the righteousness of Christ, and we say those words, we're not talking about being clothed in a sacrifice and then being clothed with death. We're saying Christ made a sacrifice, a perfect, pure, holy sacrifice for us, and then now clothes us with his living hope, with his living sacrifice, with his living, with his living righteousness. So remind yourself of that. You are not clothed in death if Christ has forgiven you of your sins. You are clothed in life. You're clothed in life. Sin and death, though, they're companions, they're colleagues, they work together. Where sin is, so is death. Remind you, okay, I want to clarify this. Sin and death are colleagues, teammates, companions. If you are suffering, whatever kind of suffering you want to you want to say is suffering, whether it's just allergies or maybe it's something very traumatic, maybe it's maybe it's physical, maybe it's mental, maybe it's spiritual, whatever the case may be, just because you're suffering doesn't mean that you're full of sin. Sin and death, they're the companions. They're the ones that go together. Satan tries to steal, kill, and destroy. Christ came to give us a life abundant, a life to the full, to clothe us in righteousness, to clothe us in life. So Christ, his companion, is life. His companion is holiness. His companion, his colleague, his team, his teammate is purity, holiness, hope, these things. Sin and death are companions. They work together. They come to steal and kill and destroy us. So when we see these, when we experience or we see others suffering, our first thought shouldn't be uh, how is sin being elevated or sin being worshipped in this, but instead how can Christ use this suffering in the midst of our brothers and sisters in Christ? How can Christ use this suffering to shape them, not lead them down the path of sin so sin can get the glory, but instead how can Christ use this suffering to, uh, to shape this Christian, this saint, this brother and sister in Christ, so that Christ might receive the glory. How, how can we say this all together? Well, think about Christ, and that's what Peter wants us to do. He wants us to think all the time, go back to what Christ has done, the suffering that he went through. Did he go through suffering because he's a sinner? No. He went through suffering for the sake of sinners, for sure. But his suffering was so that we could have a new covenant, have a new contract, so we could depend upon him, trust in him, become no longer independent, trusting in our own works, our own sin, our own good good uh, works or whatever, but instead we become completely dependent upon our Savior, Jesus. So when Peter says to these Christians, these exiles, these sojourners, these foreigners, these aliens to this world, so to speak, he says, begins with, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. Do not be surprised. Have you been surprised before? Have you been surprised by maybe someone showing up at your house? Oh, I didn't expect you to be here, but I'm somewhat glad that you're here. Let me prepare some things. My grandmother was the best at this, uh, great at hospitality. She always uh, pretended that she was ready for us to be there, even though we knew, hey, we, hey, surprise, we're here. Oh, great, I have everything that you need. Come on in, welcome, we want to welcome you here. Uh, this word surprise, this Greek word, it means to receive a guest or to be surprised, to entertain a stranger, or to be startled or uh, bewildered. In a sense, Peter is saying, Hey, sojourner. Hey, stranger. 
You live in a broken world. That is not the way that it's supposed to be. So remind yourself when suffering comes that suffering is no stranger to this world. You are a stranger to this world. You know that suffering is momentary because you have a a living hope in Jesus. Your hope is not in, will I get out of this suffering? Your hope is that Christ has removed you from the suffering of sin and death. Your hope is that Christ has established you a place in heaven. Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial. Instead, Peter is saying, sojourner, stranger, alien, you should welcome suffering. Extend some hospitality to it. Welcome it as the guest. Welcome it. Say it's normal. We're glad that you're here. We live in a broken world. It's not the way that it's supposed to be, but it's what we've come to expect especially for those of us who are seeking Christ and Christ alone, His kingdom, His eternity, His righteousness. We know we live by what Christ has prayed on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we long for. But we know that we are not in heaven just yet. And so because of that, we see the brokenness and the suffering all around us. And what should this brokenness and suffering do for us? It should Spur us along. Usher usher us into the place where Christ receives all the glory. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised by it, but instead, welcome it. Again, I want to reiterate, as foreigners, Peter calls us, as strangers, we are the one who does not belong here. Suffering belongs in this sin-infested world. Suffering belongs in this imperfect place. And the hope that we have, and the hope that we're proclaiming to the world, the good news, is that Christ is restoring that. He's reconciling the world to himself through his Son. came to demolish or take away all sin so that, so that no longer we would no longer be separated. And one day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, all because of the workings of Jesus, all because of the workings of Jesus. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's the normal. It's not the new normal. It's been the normal. Suffering has been the normal since rebellion entered the world. We are the foreigner. We shouldn't consider suffering to be the foreigner. We are the guest, in a sense, to this world. We are the sojourner just passing through. We, we are living for something greater. We are, as Christians, to play off what we just learned in the verses preceding, we are to show hospitality to suffering. Just like Christ said, surprise your enemy by loving them, so we should surprise suffering by saying, welcome, suffering. We're glad that you're here. Just like Christ said, feed your enemy, We should say, I want to do everything I can to accept this suffering that it might turn me into or transform me into to the likeness of Jesus. So to a suffering sojourner, we are supposed to extend hospitality, welcome it, to entertain this strange foreigner that's called suffering, which often shows up just at the unexpected times, and then we're to rejoice in it, all because we're getting to suffer like Christ suffered. I think Peter is trying to say, suffering belongs in this place. You do not. Don't be surprised by the suffering. Welcome it. Let it spur you on. Let it shape you into into Christ. Rejoice in it because you've been blessed by it. 
Which is hard to say, by the way. But you've been blessed by it that you might become more like Christ. So Christian sojourners, not belonging to this world, extend hospitality to suffering and brokenness, welcoming it, knowing that they belong to a perfect king and a perfect kingdom. We're just passing through. And in our passing through moments, we use all those moments to glorify the Son and the Son alone. I think Peter is preaching basically the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching the same thing that Christ preached, that he sat and listened to as Christ preached in Matthew chapter 5 through, through verse 7. He says to us that we should rejoice in this, that we should rejoice that we're sharing. Verse 13 says this, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Suffering should spur us along to say, praise be to God that I'm suffering, that I'm sharing in the suffering like Christ suffered. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Christ and Peter are both trying to turn our attention on what a true blessed life looks like. It's strange when the world sees, maybe in the case of First Peter, when the Gentiles see Christians rejoicing over suffering. Please give me more, sir. Fill my plate up even more. Give me more suffering that I might rejoice in this suffering and share and the suffering of Jesus. This makes no sense to us because, yes, we live in our, in our Western con- uh, context here, Western culture that we've been taught over and over again that we should share. Mama teaches us, Daddy teaches us that we should share just things not like the flu or, or germs, but we should be quick to share. We know that the early church was uh, had many things in common and they shared all their things together. But when it comes to uh, our context, we, we would rather be independent people, self-reliant people. When it comes to dependence, we only want to be dependent upon ourselves. C.S. Lewis says that uh, there's a, a backwardness to our natural world. Uh, naturally, we're born into this sinful world and we're born dependent as a baby, as an infant. And then we're taught how to become independent Yet, reborn believers, regenerate believers, those of us who have given our life to Christ, who are now owned by Jesus, it's the opposite for us. See, we're reborn independent, and we're learning through the process of sanctification how to become completely dependent upon the Lord. No longer self-reliant upon ourselves, but instead completely reliant upon Jesus. And so we welcome the suffering. Hey, if this suffering moment will help me to remember that I'm sharing in this with the Lord, that I'm walking through this with Jesus, and I'm becoming dependent upon Him and Him alone, so be it. Bring me more. Some research, uh, interesting study that contrasted Japanese folks to American folks. There was a question that was given to them. How do people comfort themselves during difficulties, during suffering, during trials? How do... Japanese comfort themselves versus how do Americans 
comfort themselves. The Japanese consistently said that when I'm going through sufferings or when I'm going through personal trials, I think about my family and I imagine that my family is with me. The American response in this study was typically, I can overcome this. I just have to work harder. There was a lot of self-talk that happened. It was intended to kind of inflate myself or my needy self. I'm great. This person can't beat me. I'm better than he is. In other words, we live in a culture that emphasizes the individual or self-reliance over sharing with one another. And we think this when it comes to suffering. I'm just going to do this by myself. I'm just going to suffer through this by myself. And maybe these early Christians here in 1 Peter were doing the same thing. We're suffering. We all know that we're suffering, but I'm just going to suffer. I'm going to suffer by myself. I'm not going to share this. And Peter says, no, no, no. You're not suffering alone. In fact, you're sharing in the suffering that Christ suffered on your behalf. You're sharing with him. In some Asian countries, this research showed, not just Japan, but other Asian countries, self-reliance, that phrase makes no sense to them. In fact, it's a sign of mental instability. The person should never be self-reliant according to these Asian traditions. The person should always be interdependent. And Peter, calling out, saying, you're sharing in your suffering. You're becoming dependent upon Christ. You're looking to Him, saying, I'm not in this alone. I have a living hope in Jesus. I'm going to share with others, other believers, but I'm also walking, and I can rejoice in this, I'm also walking in the suffering that Jesus suffered. 1 Peter 5, verse 9 says this, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings that you're experiencing are also being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We're not walking through these moments. We're not walking through these moments alone. Real quickly, verse 14 says this, If you are insulted for for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory of God rests Upon you. You are blessed if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. John 15 points this out. Jesus points this out in verse 20. Remember that the world that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they know, they do not know him who sent me. Jesus is pointing us, Peter is pointing us, and I'm trying to this morning point you to the fact that in your suffering, whether it's persecution or just earthly suffering, you're sharing in that, and you can rejoice in that because Christ will get the glory. Verse 15 says this, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Peter wants to point us, like we pointed out two weeks ago, don't allow this suffering to lead you into sin and let sin shape your life. No, you've been, you've been removed from sin. You've been, you've been set free from sin. So no longer let sin rule over you, but instead let Christ rule over you. So in your suffering, don't turn back and become a murderer, right? Don't go back and be an evildoer. Don't be a thief. Don't be a, a meddler. I think in this, these four sins here listed, there's like, there's one that's not so much like the other, right? There's murderer. Think about uh, murdering. You're like, well, we don't want any murderers in the, in the house this morning. We don't want any thieves. We don't want any evildoers. But then we get to that last one, that fourth one. What in the world, Peter? A meddler? A busybody? Well, let's get to that. First, let's look at it through the lens of the Sermon on the Mount. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. A murderer. Who is a murderer? Well, Jesus talks about, uh, you've heard from old that it was said, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. 
But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the, to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come offer your gift. Come to terms with these things. We don't want to be these folks who are experiencing suffering and then being shaped by, led into sin. Instead, we want to be reminded, no, we're rejoicing with Christ. We're walking with Christ. We are not alone. Christ has saved us from sin, and so we continue on. What about a thief? What was being stolen? What were these uh, Gentiles? What were they stealing around them? We don't want to be known by that. Don't let your suffering lead you into becoming a thief. Well, I can't. I'm without, so I must go and steal. I don't know what the case may be. What about the evildoer? Someone who's doing evil to us. Matthew 5, back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about retaliation. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not, or do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Christ urges us to be different. Murdering, thievery, evildoing, meddling, these are pictures of a broken, sin-enslaved world. We are no longer slaves to sin. Christ has rescued us from that and set us free from that. We, we, belong to, we belong to Him. And because of that, we worship Him and Him alone. We live for Him and Him alone. We allow suffering to be placed in our lap. We welcome it and say, allow this to transform me. Let it be a refiner's fire transforming me into Christ and Christ alone. And then there's the fourth sin that Peter list here inspired by the Holy Spirit that I think was a bring it back to to home type thing. Uh, Maybe you're not a murderer. Maybe you're not a a, a thief or uh, an evildoer, but maybe you are a meddler. A meddler, the Greek word. It's the only time in the the New Testament that this word is used uh, in this uh, this way. One who meddles in things alien to his calling. One who meddles in things alien to his calling or in matters belonging to others. So we're talking about someone who's a busybody, someone who's, who's just spending all their time thinking about the ways and actions of others. Peter says, let's not be murderers, let's not be evildoers, let's not be thieves, let's not be busybodies, but instead let's consume our time with Christ and what he desires of us. This, this happens a lot in suffering. And the reason why I know that meddling happens a lot in suffering, because I do this. When I'm suffering, I want to go and I want to find Zach. I'm just going to use Zach as the safe example here, Zach, okay? I want to go find Zach in my suffering, and I want to meddle in his business. And I want to begin to point out where he's wrong and what he's done wrong. Not because I want my suffering to shape me into Christ, but because I'm feeling guilty or convicted. Because I know that my life isn't walking in the direction that it should, should go. And I'm allowing suffering then to point me into sin, where all I'm going to do is be consumed with Zach's actions instead of my, instead of my own actions. Peter's saying, don't be this busybody, annoying Christian who's just thinking about or staying in or meddling in the affairs of of Gentiles or other Christians by, by, by maybe by chance. But instead, Peter's calling us that believers would consume their life 
with Christ, allowing suffering to shape us, allowing suffering to lead us to this blessed response of rejoicing that we're walking with Christ. Then he ends with, in verses 18 and through 19, he says this, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and it begins with us. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Again, this pointing towards judgment. And who's going to be the ultimate judge? Who's the righteous judge? And know that judgment is coming. And these fiery trials are refining us so that we're glorifying Christ and Christ alone. And verse 19 says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If, by chance, I walk this way this week and I meddle in Zach's business for the sake of saying, well, I'm suffering, but I'm not that bad, but look at Zach and look how bad he is, I'm not entrusting my soul to my Savior. I'm entrusting really my own work. My, I'm trusting my soul to my own work, saying I... I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as Zach. Praise the Lord. But instead, I'm entrusting my, instead of entrusting my soul to the Lord, I'm entrusting my soul to myself, becoming dependent on the way that I walk, even in the midst of suffering. Not rejoicing in Christ's work, but instead rejoicing in my own work. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Last three things, and then we'll go to lunch together. This word, entrust, is an amazing word, I think. It means to place beside or near or set before. It means to be present. It's used in three different ways in the New Testament, and I'm going to give you three examples from the life of Christ. This word, entrust, Jesus used when he set before the 5,000 loaves and fishes. He set a table for them. He said, I'm going to entrust you, I'm going to present before you, I'm going to put before you this food. He placed something on the table for the people to eat. It's also used when Jesus teaches parables. He says, I'm going to set before you a new teaching. I'm going to set before you a parable that you might, might learn about heavenly things. We do the same thing. Lord, use my life as a teaching for this world. Use the suffering that I'm going through to be an example that Christ might be the one who's glorified. We set our lives upon the table, saying, I'm present. Our souls upon the table, saying, I'm present, ready to be used by you. We set our life and our soul upon the table, saying, Lord, use me, even in suffering, even in trials, use me for your glory, that others might hear the excellencies of Jesus. And then the third and final way is this. Jesus gives us the greatest and best example of this. Jesus entrusted his soul to the Father. Father, into your hands I commit or I entrust my spirit. Luke 23, verse 46, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, remember, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of taking your place and my place and the place of the world, in the midst of that, Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last breath. He entrusted his soul. 
He entrusted his entire life. He entrusted his spirit to the Lord. In the midst, in the middle of the most severe suffering, Christ gives us this great example, the greatest example. Father, I entrust my life, my spirit, my soul, my everything to you. I place my life in your hands. In the middle of this suffering time, in this trying time, Christ says, I entrust my life to you. He entrusted his soul in the midst of suffering, though he was doing good. While bad was happening to him, being done to him, he entrusted his life to the faithfulness of our Creator God. Suffering reminds us that we do not belong here. Suffering sojourner, this is not our home. We are the sojourner. Suffering is normal here. But we belong to something that's out of this world. We belong to something that's not so normal. We belong to a God, creator God, who said, I will send my son to sacrifice, to suffer in your place, that you might share with him in all that he is. Yes, in suffering, but also in glory. And Peter is reminding the Christians almost 2,000 years ago and reminding us today, no matter what is next, entrust your soul to the Lord. No matter what is next, place your life on the table. No matter what is next, let your life be a teaching that Christ may be the one to receive all the glory. Entrust your entire life to the Lord. Let me pray for you. Lord, help us. You know us. That's why you sent your Son to rescue us. You know how we respond to suffering. You know how we respond to trials. You know how it pushes us. So God, continue to shape us. That we as a church, we as individuals, let us entrust our soul to you and to you alone. Not boasting in our own work or even the suffering and how we overcame it, but let all our boasting be in you and you alone for your glory. In order that in everything, God, you may be glorified through your Son, Jesus Christ, because we know only to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and...